0: Hello and welcome to episode number 37 of the Chris Knot Podcast. This uh, podcast today is uh, one that I was very excited about because I got my chance to interview an actual uh, psychiatrist and talk to them about the applications of um, positive mindset, inflammation, and nutrition and how it directly impacts mood. Today on the show, I have Dr. Ishra Hussein, and he conducted his PhD into inflammation markers and clinical depression. We talked about the actual science behind how nutrition will infect your um, daily thoughts, mood, and uh, well-being in general. And he takes me through the study that he conducted looking at how inflammation can make you more depressed. Um, I think something that's very important in the industry is that as personal trainers, we don't overstep the mark. So we stay well in our uh, zone. So we don't, even though we have this knowledge, we don't apply it too much in a pseudoscience way and say stuff that we don't fully understand. To actually have somebody who's conducted extensive research and has a PhD in psychology and for them to reflect what they were saying in regards to nutrition and what we're preaching was fantastic and this is some, This is a talk which I want to delve into more and do follow-ups into the role of nutrition and positive um, mindset and policy and affirmations on directly improving holistic health. So without further ado, this is episode number 38 of the Chris Not Podcast, Dr. Ishrat Hussain. Okay, so we've got a really interesting episode of the show today, one that I'm really excited about because when I first started this, I was really keen on making sure we didn't go just down the fitness and nutrition route. Uh, today's all going to be about psychology, the brain and inflammation and I have expert on that, Dr. Ishrat Hussain. Hello, Dr. Ishrat. Hi,
1: Chris. <laughs>
0: How are you? It's
1: a pleasure to be here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? you?
1: Yes, Uh, so um, I'm a consultant uh, psychiatrist, which uh, means that I'm a medical doctor that specializes in mental health. Uh, At the same time, I'm also uh, an academic, uh, which means I uh, do quite a lot of research in the area of mental health, and uh, my area of research interest is um, the association between inflammation in the body and brain um, to how we feel in our mood Um, and uh, I've done a number of studies in this area and hopefully I'll be able to talk to you a little bit about some of that work today.
2: Mm,
0: Awesome so what's the latest findings we just spoke briefly off air and you took me through that research research study that you did Um, what was it that you looked at there what was the groups like and what were the main
1: findings? Well uh, I think I think first of all I'll give you a little bit about background about why I decided to study this, Um, you know, we've all heard of of the conditions of depression, uh, people feeling low in their mood. Uh, It's become a very common problem. If you look at the statistics, actually, the World Health Organization uh, identified depression as the leading cause of disability, uh, and it's extremely common throughout the world. But more and more so, it's becoming very hard to treat. Um, with just you know conventional antidepressant medicines or, or therapies. So uh, I was very interested to look at people uh, with this condition because I felt that there was something more going on than just what previously been hypothesized that they have some sort of chemical imbalance which makes them feel depressed. Um, it's important to, to say that there's lots of reasons why people get depressed. You know we all go through life events, People get unwell, people have losses, a relationship breakup, a death of somebody close. But I think it's a combination of things that makes people feel depressed. And um, there's many reasons why one can get depressed, whether it's life events, a bereavement or a loss. Uh, There's a genetic component. So if somebody's family members have been depressed before, there's a likelihood that Uh, They'll uh, also they may get depressed in their life, but also an important part is one's physical condition, Um, and the evidence for that is that uh, almost any if you look at almost any inflammatory condition such as arthritis, inflammatory bowel disease, uh, diabetes, you'll find that in these people that suffer from these conditions they have a much higher uh, incidence of being depressed. Um, and I, I think that's, that's not a coincidence, mm-hmm. um, and which is why I wanted to uh, investigate this um, and look at the association between uh, inflammation in the body and brain and whether that relates to somebody feeling worse in their mental health. So... Um, my uh, it, it was the focus of my doctorate uh and something i've been studying for the last 4 years um so uh, a part i started off the the work really by going and doing an extensive uh review of of the literature uh called a systematic review to see what evidence there was that people with uh depression have a raised inflammatory profile and then to look at the evidence to see if adding in an anti-inflammatory treatment uh, would help these people. So um, I found that following, you know, looking at what other people had done thus far, that actually there's quite a lot of work that shows that there is a significant proportion of people with depression that have a raised inflammatory profile and and the, the figure is about one-third mm. of people uh, with depression may have uh, evidence of, of inflammation in their their body and this is this is indicated by looking at their what we call their inflammatory markers so they do blood tests and they look at these uh, uh, what are called inflammatory markers they're basically acute they're called proteins acute phase proteins that are broken down and then they are signs that somebody's inflamed one of them is called c reactive protein crp and the other commonly used uh marker of inflammation are called cytokine proteins and if you've got a raised level of these cytokines or crp in your blood that tells us uh that there's something inflammatory going on in the in the body Mm. um And studies have shown that up to a third of people with depression may have this evidence. So uh, uh, there's been lots of work uh, because logically, one would think that if somebody's got, you know, raised inflammation and they're depressed, maybe if they're not responding just to an antidepressant, we should look at adding in something to reduce inflammation in the body to see if that helps them feel better in their mood. Mm. Um, And there's been quite a lot of work on that most of the work that's been done are, are smaller studies. Um, so there's not been sort of large trials where you can say, yes, definitely. You know, if, you, if I give you an anti-inflammatory, uh, you'll feel better. But the, the, signs are that, uh, from this body of evidence that giving an anti-inflammatory medicine may help improve, uh, uh mood in people that are depressed. Um, but we don't. We can't give a definitive answer of it yet because we don't have enough evidence from a very sort of well-designed uh, large trial. Hmm. Because you know, before we recommend treatment to people, it's something that we would like what we, what we consider reliable evidence, and that reliable evidence only comes when one has done a, a large scale. Uh, uh, the trial of, of the treatment. So all the work that's been done so far has been what, what are called pilot studies, mm. and those are there to inform whether actually is it something worth investigating, is it is it something that possibly could be effective. And um, I actually did a bit of uh, a, a pilot trial myself very recently that was just published uh, two months ago, which is very exciting because it was the it was the first trial of an antibiotic for use in, um, in depression. And antibiotics are also anti-inflammatory medicines. They um, target the immune system in our body, but they also reduce inflammation by acting on these proteins that I mentioned to you, the cytokine proteins, by reducing uh, the activation of these cytokine proteins. Um, so uh, the, the antibiotic that I investigated is called minocycline. And uh, it's commonly used for acne, very commonly used. been around for around, you know, over three decades. Um, and it's it, it's quite a safe antibiotic. It doesn't cause antibiotic resistance. So it doesn't get make you get any other bugs or anything like that. Um, and I did this study in about 41 people that had depression that hadn't responded to uh, your conventional treatments like therapy, talking therapies and, and, and medicines. And we found a really significant improvement in the people that were taking the minocycline drug added to their usual treatment versus the people that were just taking a placebo.
2: Mm. The people that were taking a placebo, they didn't have any improvement in their mood. But Mm. the people that took the minocycline did have an improvement in their mood.
1: Um, and, And that showed me that actually this is something that may have some legs. It may... Be that there's a group of people um, that uh, you know are depressed because of how they are, you know, mm. physiologically uh, uh, built at that given moment. Because uh,
0: one thing, one thing you must kind of investigate in what is your field is that is it the brain affecting the body or the body affecting the brain.
1: Well, uh, absolutely, and uh, that's, what, that's a very important point and, and one that we really we can only answer by um, including uh, what we consider mechanistic tests in the studies. So what we could do to see if it's actually, you know, what's causing this uh, or is it, is it the inflammation causing the depression or vice versa would be to measure somebody's inflammation level before we give it a, a drug, an anti-inflammatory and then to measure it again sort of halfway through the treatment mm. to see if it's coming down and whether that is a sign that their mood is improving mm. and that would tell us that actually there may be a cause and effect relationship there that you know if the inflammation is coming down and the mood is going up that tells us that uh, that it's because of the inflammation that this person's depressed.
0: So the the placebo group is extremely important in, the studdle, uh, in these studies. Is the the amount of people you're doing it on increases? Having that placebo of something that's not going to redu- have any effect on inflammation is going to be very powerful. Then that's what's going to need to be done in further research. Absolutely. So yes, uh, that's that's absolutely correct.
1: Because in in a small trial uh, with only even with only forty participants. Um, you are going to get uh, your results affected by the fact that you have you know a small group of people only a small number taking the placebo we need larger numbers I think we need at least a study of about 300 people mm. for a really uh, you know see, see if this is something that could be affected. Cool. But I think what's interesting is that um, you know if you look at people with chronic inflammatory conditions like, you know, inflammatory bowel disease, like Crohn's disease or diabetes, even obesity, mm. um, you'll find that they they have an increased risk of depression. And in people that, and that might be because they've got a chronic illness, because they, you know, they don't like being overweight. Mm. Uh, be, that's the case. But it's interesting that people with chronic inflammatory conditions, when their inflammation gets worse, it's thought that their depression gets worse. And that, you know, that they get, you know, a relapse of their depression when their sort of uh, inflammation is worse. So there's clearly some sort of relationship, uh, between them, uh, obviously the mind and the body, mm. uh, uh, that we need to investigate further.
2: Could you
0: talk us through, um, how you identified the depression and what, how it was kind of mitigated in the levels of depression is was, was it a psychiatric test or did they have to just score things or?
1: Yeah. So, uh, we, uh, did a, uh, to assess that somebody met the criteria for depression, they underwent an assessment with a psychiatrist in which we went through what we call the diagnostic criteria for depression and once we uh, once the psychiatrist determined that yes, this person was depressed we then did a, a, an assessment scale to look at the severity of their symptoms um, for, for each patient as well for this study, we included very severe patients that hadn't responded to any other medicines because we think those are the ones that actually uh, need newer treatments
0: because they aren't, you know, they aren't getting better with what we already have. Mm. And the thing is, you got to play devil's advocate here: is, is you can pretty much have a study out there which manipulating certain way can prove every, prove anything in a sense because it all depends on the control group, but do you think there's certain variables that play a huge part in this? So, for example, um, previous experiences, so surely the groups would have to be put down into like um, PTSD, uh, people like that, and then but also activity, diet, lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, each one complicates the matter, doesn't it?
1: Absolutely. We excluded people that had uh, uh, evidence of, other inflammatory disorders, because we wanted to see whether it was, you know, uh, somebody that was depressed, uh, you know, and that the inflammation was due to the depression. Uh, so we didn't. Uh, so I didn't include people in the study that already had known inflammation. We did. We we did. You know, we did assess everybody's um, baseline. Um, you know, demographics. That didn't include. Uh, if I'm honest, it didn't include. Uh, things like diet uh, and exercise levels because you're right, that could definitely have been uh, what we would call a confounding factor. Mm. Uh, so if somebody is, you know, very fit and lean and eating well, um, uh, they are likely to have less levels of inflammation mm. uh, than somebody who's not. So, um, so yeah, we, that's something that we didn't control for. Yeah. Uh, well, which you know, it's difficult to do actually in these studies because it's hard enough to recruit somebody with severe depression to a study. Yeah. Uh, to then control for 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 these things can be difficult.
0: Mm. So one one of the things that personal trainers do a lot, and this is why I want to go down the route of interviewing doctors, psychologists, and endocrinologists, because uh, you'll see it. Cause you you follow the fitness industry quite a lot, is that mm-hmm. personal trainers will throw out you know. Um, Hormonal terms like you know your cortisol is high, which is why you have belly fat and all that type of thing. And how much does this actually play a role in inflammation? So, for example, is there any way you guys would um, look at blood levels of cortisol where they're elevated beyond normality? does that come into the research as well? And does that have any link? Um, yeah, absolutely.
1: Cortisol is is very important, um, uh, and uh, we uh, you know we believe that. Uh, Cortisol, actually, higher levels of cortisol set off this inflammatory cascade Mm. that then leads to the onset of depressive symptoms or you know other psychiatric symptoms. Mm. Uh, So, you know, high cortisol, uh, which is a stress hormone, obviously, um, as as most people know, uh, is related to uh, you know mental ill health. It's related to Higher levels of inflammation. And there have been studies looking at, uh, whether controlling for that higher cortisol re- improves, uh, symptoms. And they've also shown that yes, it does, because we think it, 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 it's part of this pathway in which, mm. you know, you, you get a stress, whatever this, whether it's a physical or emotional stressor, you get higher levels of cortisol. That high level of cortisol then sets off this inflammatory cascade that then affects the body uh, in, in, in certain ways uh, to bring on depressive symptoms. Now, how it affects the body is, there's multiple theories about that. It's thought that cortisol causes inflammation, which then goes and disrupts the uh, production uh, of serotonin in, in the brain, which I'm sure, Chris, mm. you've heard of mm. uh, serotonin, which is a, a neurotransmitter in, uh, in the brain, which is thought to be uh, responsible for you know, uh, you know, good mood, mm. and good emotion. And if we have too little serotonin, um, then that's one of the theories that why people get depressed. So uh, to answer your question, I would say that yes, cortisol is important. It is something that we measure in our studies. Mm. In future studies that we are planning mm. uh, in this area, it's going to be definitely uh, a marker of inflammation that we will be uh, mm. looking at.
0: And from a neurotransmitter point of view, which is the key one that you look at? Is it more dopamine? Is it more serotonin? Or is it more reduction in GABA? Or what's the- yeah.
1: So for depression, we think uh, serotonin is the primary uh, neurotransmitter that's involved. But uh, more and more so, glutamate, uh, which acts on the GABA receptors, right. is also being implicated in that. Dopamine, not so much. Mm. um that's more uh it's more important in uh, uh psychotic illnesses mm. uh but dopamine obviously it's, it's it's a very important hormone as well uh sorry n- uh, neurotransmitter as well um uh, but it, it the more in mood disorders uh, the focus is on serotonin and glutamate
0: yeah so is it right in saying the um stuff like dopamine issues I'm talking with like you said psychiatric problems but also people who are having like addiction problems or overactive activities yeah. where people who are the other way who are more depressive it's more the like you said glutamate and serotonin are the ones yeah. that on it. okay that's quite cool yeah so what uh again when you're measuring those is it could you See, I say there's, there's, this is where it gets exciting, but also there's, there's, the research would have to be so in depth. Would you use like MRI scans on looking at brain activity when people are subjected to certain questions? You know, in an ideal scenario, would you look at regions of the brain that are being activated by emotive feelings? Or
1: yeah, if I, for instance, you know, unfortunately, with these studies, it all comes down to funding. Yeah, you had, if I could design the ideal study, I would most definitely include a. nice detailed functional MRI scan in my uh, studies to look at yes brain regions the activity in those brain regions uh, you know in uh, you know in these treatment trials Um, there is a lot of neuroimaging work that's being done to look at the activity of these neurochemicals uh, through MRI scans Mm. Uh, and uh, you know unfortunately that's not really my area of expertise, yeah, yeah. So to summarize much of the evidence there. But ideally, yes, we would we would want to include that because it gives us more of an idea of what's going on, you know, yeah. chemically in the brain.
0: Hmm. So in regards to, um, you know, I've, I've had a gut health specialist on here who's, who's very knowledgeable. And we were talking about the effects the microbiome has and how the... <coughs> um, how gut health has a huge role in serotonin and there's a lot of things there's a lot of things that really point in the same direction and when things correlate that's the most encouraging kind of assessment of a theory so for example you know if someone is overweight because they eat bad food and they have high inflammation high stressful job high cortisol they're going to have likelihood levels of depression but also you know, if you're saying serotonin is the key neurotransmitter and they have poor serotonin production because they have IBS, poor diet, then everything everything does point down the route of nutrition can fundamentally mm. improve any kind of situation.
1: Absolutely, and, and there's something called the gut brain axis. Mm. Uh, looks at the microbiome and how it uh, how it's involved a, in this uh, inflammatory cascade as well in people that are uh, that are depressed.
2: I, I think uh nutrition is essential
1: mm. uh i mean not only because i uh through, through my own sort of interest in the field mm. uh I've, I've seen how it's uh, impacted me but i even for my my patients and now investigating this area uh, i feel that nutrition is very important in uh, producing our baseline inflammatory uh, uh level mm. So, uh, you know, I, I, I very much recommend uh, certain supplements to yeah. my patients as well, um, like, I mean, something that's very commonly uh, used, which has got quite clear uh, anti-inflammatory properties, is uh, omega-3 uh, fish oils, uh, which people have done studies on, um, and its uh, effects in depression as well. Mm. Um have found some very positive outcomes mm. uh so that's something that you know it's, it's not recommended by our guidelines it's not something that we sort of prescribe but i'm very much a believer that uh nutrition nutritional supplements can play a very important role in reducing uh inflammation and as a result also uh you know improving our mental well-being
2: mm.
0: so especially the is it the is the dha dense nutrient yeah. uh, because this the saying from what i've read I, I read um the zone diet i can't remember who is it by but you might have come across it and it's basically saying that the dha dense fish oils is what helped the frontal lobe development in yeah. neanderthal men and that's how we end up being able to create tools and things like that so that's quite like I say it is very interesting because is there any research that you've come across into um, vitamin d3 at all that's probably one of my staples
1: uh, no I haven't I actually I, I haven't uh, uh, looked into that um, I know there's been some work into it but I'm not sure of the the, the results of those studies mm. uh, there have been some people that are looking at vitamin d3 more and more so actually mm. uh, people are doing trials of it and I, uh, uh, one of my colleagues actually uh, approached me about doing a trial in depression so that's something that, that that's definitely a developing area well mm. um, I mean what's your uh, Experiences.
0: The- uh, I did. Uh, I did a talk in house for the uh, for the other coaches at, at Frontline, and um, it was my goal was to go through each supplement and go through dosages and what actually works because the the supplement industry is growing proportional to the fitness industry, and you know the it's there's a ridiculous amount of things that you can get, and now there's stuff like nootropics and brain nutrition is getting prominent, but the very basics in terms of the omega threes. And specifically d uh, d three itself is twenty five hydroxy vitamin d um, three right. and there's a study which I'll send to you by uh, Dr. Rhonda Patrick, which shows that it does improve serotonin levels and it can improve right. sad um, so I would recommend all my all my clients to take at least two two thousand to four thousand i u of vitamin a good quality vitamin D three and k2 uh, throughout the winter months. Because we're just, okay. we're just. It was saying that you you would have to have 15 minutes of direct contact of sunlight per day to make your, um, to make the amount which you, which your body needs. Mm-hmm. So, supplementary form, you only absorb 66 percent of the amount that you absorb through supplements as you would through uh, through direct sunlight. But it's definitely it's definitely a staple supplement. and make sure everybody's on, especially while sunlight's um, reduced. Okay. But it also has positive effects on um, androgens, and so it's, it's, so in terms of a, a body composition one and brain health one, vitamin D three would be a, a, a go to for me in conjunction with um, high DHA, yeah, um, fish oil, yeah.
1: So um, and uh, the, another one that's uh, you know turmeric hmm. uh, in the diet curcumin as well. Hmm. Uh, these are all uh, you know. They're not really supplements, but they're, they're naturally occurring mm. uh, food products that uh, you know that, that have anti-inflammatory properties.
0: Mm. So, did, when when you're treating someone from a bit of depression point of view, um, how much is it in the world of psychology? Is, is nutrition? You know, you do it yourself, but just through your own yes. anecdotal experience. But is nutrition touched upon at all, or is it kind of just psychological uh, protocols?
1: It is touched upon. I don't think it's touched upon as much as it should be. Mm. Um, uh, but uh, from my clinical experience, it's something that over the years I am, am very much uh, encouraging my patients to do: to follow a certain nutritional, you know, plan and lifestyle. Um, and we, we, where I work, we've got something called the Wellbeing uh, Project and Group, and we that diet and exercise is part of that so hmm. um, yeah so it, it
0: is getting more attention but I still think there's scope to, hmm. to develop it further hmm. That's interesting so um, I had another question which we didn't speak about before and uh, it's just something that A I feel strongly about but B it's something I like because I've been doing a lot of research on the brain recently and this is a good one for you as a, as a father of two but how do you feel about um because actually, you said this to me in a restaurant about seven years ago. I think this is really, really going to throw you off. You said that eventually everything will be done through the mobile phone. This is when, you know, even videos on your phone was quite innovative. You said eventually the mobile phone will turn into just a device where people do everything. How much of an effect is a, a, a supportable devices having on the brain? Do you think there is a link between dopamine receptor um, sensitivity reducing or being overly addictive?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, again, it's not an area that I've very much looked into, but I know there's a lot of work. A lot of my colleagues are, are very interested in this area, the effects of mobile technology on the brain. uh I, from what I've read, I do think that, you know, there is definitely a risk of, um, of addiction with it because of the, that, Uh, you know, the effects on dopamine. Social media in particular, I think, uh, is getting a lot of attention. There was a study that linked, uh, you know, uh, addiction to social media with increased incidence of depression. Hmm. Um, uh, And I think that's something that uh, is worrying. It's something that needs, uh, you know, definitely more work uh, in, and people are looking at interventions um, what I am aware of is that there is uh, uh, strong evidence to, to show that individuals can become addicted to their mobile phones. Uh, there is strong evidence to suggest that uh, people can become very addicted to social media. Um, and recently I was very worried uh, from uh, a study that was published looking at the links between social media use and adolescence. So that's teenagers, um, and, uh, the risk of, uh, depression, um, which was, was very high in those that were addicted to social media. Uh, so it's, it, you know, it, it's, it's a worrying trend. It's, uh, obviously mobile technology very much has its advantages and it's really made our life easier in so many ways, but I think that we, we have to be mindful, uh, of, of the effects uh, that it can have, particularly in people that are vulnerable anyway uh, to dependence and addiction. Mm. Um, and we need to be mindful of that. Uh, so uh, it, uh, it's an area actually uh, that uh, within psychiatry and within mental health is being developed as an area of, of, of academic interest, the whole uh, mobile technology Uh, And social media use, Mm. Um, because uh, I think that, like everything, um, uh, as uh, as long as it's used in balance, I think uh, it very much has its benefits, uh, even for health and well being. Actually, you know, there's so many apps, uh, some of them that I recommend to my patients as well that you know help them uh, be be more mindful individuals. There's mindfulness apps, meditation apps. uh uh, cognitive behavioral therapy apps as well uh but i think that there's also uh uh, things like social media that can really uh, make people feel sometimes quite uh you know inadequate uh at times uh, as well which we we, particularly you i suppose in the fitness industry Mm. uh have to be mindful of when you see your clients so um I think it's uh, like most things in in life. It needs to be something that's used with balance. And if it begins to affect your life uh, negatively um, and impacts your functioning in a negative way, then it, something that i would suggest you seek some help for
0: because mm, i because i the same talk i was talking um, telling you about which was again the guy simon sinek who was talking about the neurotransmitters which is a brilliant talk to listen to he was saying that if someone woke up and the first thing they did was pour themselves like a drink of vodka or whiskey and then when they went from room to room in the house they took a cooler bag or took their drink wherever they went you would immediately go and look at them and go well they're an alcoholic they have a problem mm-hmm. But he's saying that what's the first thing that people do in the morning? They turn to the phone, they check the social media. Then what do they do from there? Is that they they leave if they go into a different room of the house, they'll take the phone with them. And the fact of the matter is, and I'm not I'm not by any means saying I'm not on my phone a lot, but these things are addictive, and yep. you wouldn't you wouldn't allow children access to cigarettes and alcohol so why should they just be thrown on an ipad for hours on end to with internet access which is basically giving them infinite amounts of dopamine hits because they can go on whatever they want and these app creators are very very clever you know you look at children's applications on ipads and and they're very brightly colored they're very um tangible for the kid and they can download that download that and they're for free and then i think i think personally they're very dangerous for for
1: children Even if you look at an eye. You look at these tablets or these phones. They, I mean, a baby could operate them. Yeah. my daughter w- w- was very comfortable swiping on a phone by the time she was probably around twelve to thirteen months. Yeah, with you know, which is very dangerous, and uh, th- which is why actually, with in my own parenting style, I'm restricting the access to uh, phones and tablets mm. for my kids. Um, and. We as parents are actually quite mindful that we don't want to see, we don't want our kids to see us so much on the phone, actually, mm. because then it becomes, I think, something that they see as, uh, as, as very normal. Mm. So, absolutely, uh, you know, it is definitely something that we all need to be mindful of.
0: Yeah. It's, it's something that I think as I go on in the future is what I want to really bring to attention. And I know there's huge amounts of irony in reaching out to people through, um, Facebook, through Instagram, through my website and through, you know, podcasts, which will be listened to 99% of them will be listened to a mobile device. But I was saying it's not necessarily that using them is bad. It's just the amount. But also it's something I do very, think, um, feel very, very strongly about is that anybody under the age of 16, especially toddlers or especially children using mobile phones and using devices i think we're going to really really pay for this in terms of yeah. levels of depression unemployment and people just be growing up to be just downright um socially and inept because the, the, the we are creating avatars of what we want to be online because it's so much easier than doing that in real life
2: yeah yeah so anyway,
0: that's my yeah. rant for anyway. Anyway, Dr. Ishra, I, uh, I very much appreciate your time. I know you're an extremely busy man with two young children, uh, but the information and the chat today, I found fascinating. So thank you for giving up your time.
1: It's a pleasure, Chris. Uh, anything for you. <laughs> uh, uh, it's great to, to be here. I was really honored, uh, and I'm flattered that you invited me. Thank you so much. Yep. And you're doing a great job. Love your posts. Uh, I love the pods. Keep it going. Mm. Um, uh, and just to all the listeners out there, Chris is the reason I got into uh, <laughs> nutrition, uh, and he's really been uh, quite instrumental uh, in making me uh, feel very, uh, you know, very, uh, very well in my, you know, both physically and mentally. So, mm. uh, thanks, Chris. Uh, it's been a pleasure.
0: Cool. And I'll put uh, for everyone listening all the notes plus the link to the study. If you're interested in it, will be on my website. Uh, to download and to read as well if you want some further study on that. So thanks again, doctor, and I'll speak to you soon.
2: Take care. care. Thanks. Bye. Bye.